right there is probably a good place to insert the disclaimer that neither Todd or I are are tax. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, we are not tax consultants. We are not CPAs. We are not acting on behalf of that. And we don't pretend to uh, give you tax advice. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Are you ready to start investing in real estate today, but don't know where to start? Sometimes investing can seem way too complicated, but it actually couldn't be any easier than with homeinvest.com. You know the co-founder and my friend, Nate Armstrong. He appeared on episode 20, and if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it, episode number 20. Home Invest is a company that allows you to invest in turnkey real estate. Their goal is to build powerful investment tools that make real estate investing accessible to everyone. They have contractors and property managers available for you with the click of your mouse. While other real estate agents can only offer property, Home Invest brings you a full turnkey package that allows you to diversify your investments, earn passive income and start building equity in properties. Their simple, intuitive design allows newcomers and experienced investors alike to hit the ground running and to be able to choose the properties when they want and where they want. View easy to understand charts and data to allow you to buy in only a few clicks or just a simple phone call. With Home Invest, you'll be building your portfolio as quickly or as slowly as you would like. And right now, Home Invest is giving our listeners, Pillar of Wealth Creation listeners, a free course on how to finally win in real estate investing. So go to homeinvest.com forward slash pillars. That's homeinvest.com forward slash pillars to claim your free course today. Welcome back everybody to another edition of Hump Day Hustle, the show where we focus on business and real estate as our core pillars of wealth creation. My name is John Stiles and I'm excited for another great episode. Today we're gonna to be talking about the wonderful topic of taxes and uh, the tax benefits of real estate. So with that, here's our host, Todd Dexheimer. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, John. Let's get to it, man. Taxes are a joy, right? It's it's tax season, though, so I thought this would be very seasonal, um, and we can talk about taxes. A lot of us are getting hammered with taxes, especially those who have regular jobs uh, and are high-income earners. They get pounded with taxes and they go, geez, what can I do to stop paying Uncle Sam so much dang money? And that's where the exciting part comes in, uh, is that real estate is a great shelter for taxes and passively investing in real estate can have those same benefits. So I just wanted to kind of talk with you about some of the benefits of, you know, investing in real estate, whether it's passively or actively, quite frankly, but, um, you know, passively investing in real estate and how that can benefit a tax situation. Yeah, it's definitely a great thing to be familiar with. We don't have to be, you know, the expert in taxes, but it's good right. to just have, you know, the overall understanding and then have those good connections with uh, your CPA and, and, and your tax planner. So. Yeah, yep, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And so, so before we get started, John, anything new uh, that you want to talk about uh, before we kind of get started with uh, real estate or with what you got going on? Um, you know, I'm just grinding on a lot of the same. Um, my uh, real estate sales business is going well. We're, we're hoping now that the Super Bowl is over. We can uh, pick up transactions of, uh, more often here. And um, my Airbnb property is going well. Um, that's, that's turning out pretty well. So we're, yeah, a lot of the same, but uh, just moving right along one step after the other. Well, I think anybody who's, uh, do, you know, as a real estate agent, uh, hitting, <clears throat> hitting marketing really hard right now would be very beneficial because we're in the winter season. People aren't quite ready to sell, but they're starting to think about it because spring is just around the corner, even though it doesn't feel like it. We just got dumped on with what, like a foot of snow over the last week and we got temperatures right now in, in the in the negatives. And but shortly thereafter, hereafter, it'll be spring and the you know, sun will be out and snow will be melted and people will want to list their properties. So hitting them hard with you know, marketing right now, John, I think is a really valuable time to be doing it. Yeah. And, and for those sellers out there, you know, it doesn't make sense to, uh, if you want to sell in the spring to contact the agent, like the day before right. you're ready to sell. Right. Um, it's a good idea to bring us in as soon as possible so we can look and see, you know, what things could and should you do. So you're best ready for that spring market. So yeah. Yep. Well, and, and same thing kind of with uh, apartments. A lot of people wait. They don't want to sell towards the end of the year. They don't want to sell it right away at the beginning of the year, especially cold weather states where we've got, you know, the leaves are off the, the trees. You've got the winter mass. Um, it's just property presentation is just not as good, especially if it's got some amenities like a pool or, you know, some, some outdoor amenities. I mean, we want to show those off, right? You want to see the you want to see the tenants out using the outdoor spaces. And when you're selling the winter with two feet of snow on the ground, it's really hard to show off some of those benefits that this property might have, uh, the landscaping, all that kind of stuff. So if we work really hard on, on the presentation and then we sell it in the dead of winter, the presentation's kind of lost. Right. Yep. So contact your local agent, John Stiles. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, if you're looking at buying apartments, you're looking at selling apartments, now is the time though. I mean, if you're looking at buying apartments and you're contacting your brokers right now, you're getting on their list. You're getting, you know, you're making sure they understand that you're ready to buy, that you're looking for properties and, and the properties are going to start popping up here. I would say within the next uh, few, few weeks and, and months, um, you'll start seeing a lot more listings likely coming up. And so you want to be on top of the curve. You don't want to wait until they're already out there and then start trying to contact the brokers. Yep. For sure. What about you? Anything else new uh, besides taxes? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Taxes are a big thing. We're working hard on getting everything together. We got a lot of K1s to send out for our, uh, current syndications that we've got going on. So we've got to send all our investors K-1s, um, you know, and, and so that's definitely a, a big part of it. We've 
we've got all of our year one, our year uh, end stuff done, um, you know, statements like that sent to the investors, but then we, we got to send the K one. So um, beyond that, yeah, I've got a, a property. I don't want to jinx myself, but uh, basically under wraps, um, we've got contract that we've been sending back and forth. We finally got the, the version back that from the sellers, we think we've got this property under wraps completely. And it's a good deal. It's a 200 plus unit deal. Really excited about it. I think it's going to be the best deal I've done so far. Uh, and I'm partnering up with a, a couple other people that I'm really excited to partner up with. Um, so I, I'm very excited about this, this opportunity. Uh, there'll be more to share as we kind of get into it. So I'm not going to share too much right now, but uh, just excited for that and continuing to look too for, for more deals, see what I can find. I mean, my goal this year is to take down four to five deals, maybe six, uh, you know, that's, that's six to 600 to maybe a thousand units. Uh, that would be fantastic. So keep on looking and uh, really spend a lot of time on that. The other thing I've, I've picked, I've been uh, doing some coaching and I've picked up quite a few, uh, coaching, not quite a few, I should say, to make it sound like a ton, but I've been just picking up a few coaching clients. It's really exciting to do that. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, really, really finding a lot of joy in doing that. I used to be a teacher, so it kind of plays along with uh, some of my passion and, and it's just been a blast uh, so far doing that. So nice, kind of where I'm at. Say so going back to the uh, property you have under contract mm -hmm. or almost under contract, yeah, yeah. Uh, we talk a lot about numbers in, in the show and, uh, and what it takes to get to be successful. So if you don't mind sharing, like how many offers have you put out there in order to get this one deal under contract? So since I uh, put my last deal under contract um, and I closed on that deal in August, uh, prior to that though, I had been putting offers in. So uh, I, I did just look at it the other day, 47 offers I, I've put in since I um, last, you know, got a property under contract. Wow. So a couple. That's a lot. Do you know how many deals you reviewed in order to decide to make those 47 offers? Yeah, good question. Actually, I, I, I had a mastermind group uh, today and they asked me that exact same thing. Cause I, I mentioned I had 47 uh, offers and they said, well, how many, geez, how many deals have you looked at? And I didn't, I didn't add that out, but I would say probably three to four times uh, the amount of offers I put in, I've looked at. So I, I would say for every four deals, three to four deals I look at, I offer on one. I, I, I try to offer, on deals when I think there's a good opportunity and, and I'm at least close to the whisper price, semi-close to the whisper price, I try to make an offer on the property. If I'm off by, you know, 20% or 30%, I'm not going to make an offer. But if I'm, if I'm fairly close, I'm going to make that offer. So okay. well, and, and quite frankly, making an offer, it, it doesn't, it sounds like a lot, you know, 47 offers, but I'm, I'm putting in letter of intent. So letter of intents are very short, you know, just a, a few page, my letter of intents, I think take up three pages. Um, and I honestly only change maybe uh, a handful of things on, on the letter of intent. So I'm, I'm changing the 
you know, the property address and location. I'm changing uh, the purchase price. I might change uh, some terms, but a lot of terms are going to remain very, very similar, um, such as like the due diligence timeframes and the closing timeframes and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm changing the earnest money amount and I'm potentially changing um, the how the earnest money is handled, you know, whether it's earnest money's hard fairly quickly or maybe right away or if it's hard after 30 days or, or, or more. Um, so most of it's just pretty boilerplate. I don't change much. So it doesn't take me a ton of time to go through and make an LOI on a prop, put an LOI on the property. So it's not maybe as daunting as it sounds. Sure. But still, if somebody's out there and, and you know, dreaming of being an apartment owner, and yet they haven't put in one offer and, and they're wondering, you know, why don't I, why am I not an apartment yeah. owner yet? Um, that just kind of speaks to, you know, I think it's really impressive to put out 47 offers, period. <laughs> yeah, I, and I actually, you know, now that we're talking about it, I just had a, a coaching call the other day with, with one of my clients and, and that's exactly what I was talking about is saying, look, I mean, you know, you don't, don't get depressed. Don't get anxious if you've put in a few offers, 10 offers, 20 offers. Don't, don't get anxious. Don't get depressed. Don't, you know, don't lose focus. I think a lot of people will do that. A lot of people right now are so focused on getting a deal because they see all this social media um, stuff with all these people buying stuff and or saying they got another uh, you know, 200 units. And we talked about this a few weeks ago where a lot of that's uh, I don't want to say completely false advertising, but maybe a little misleading because, you know, some, some people are, uh, you know, I guess li listen back about two or three episodes ago, but some, some, some people are, yeah, they're the, truly they're part of the deal, but maybe they only have one or 2%, 3%, 5% ownership of the deal. So it's a little, you know, a little different than, than they're actually buying it themselves. So, uh, but either way, there, I think there's a lot of that. Oh, I got to buy property. I, we want to put pressure on ourselves because we have to buy a property. And uh, I th think people sometimes lose focus and, and lose really of what are we really doing this for? Are, are we just looking to, are we just looking to puff our chests out and say we own a thousand units? Are we actually looking for financial freedom and making sure these deals are really solid and protecting our investors and making sure our investors have very good, you know, solid deals that aren't going to lose them money? You know, if that's the answer, then 47 offers shouldn't be, you know, it, should, it shouldn't depress you to have to put 47 offers in. It should actually, to me, it's like, that's kind of exciting that I was willing to put 47 offers in and I'm not like that. It doesn't hurt my feelings. If it takes 47 offers to get one good deal, fine. I'll write 147 offers to get one good deal. I'm not worried about it. That's my focus is the deal not the amount of units. So looking forward uh, with this ratio, do you think that it changes how many offers you plan to put in, in, in the next several weeks, months, and over the year? Yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to step up my game by looking at more properties. Um, right now, I'm, I'm actually studying several different markets. I'm trying to find some markets that have great fundamentals 
and have a lot of inventory being offered. That's one of the things I've been looking at more heavily is what kind of inventory is being offered because that allows me to write more offers and potentially get more deals. Um, and then I'm looking at good strategic partnerships with the right people um, and what kind of opportunities that can give because I think that's really important as well um, if, if you could find good strategic partnerships and that all opens up the door so yeah in the next uh, you know in the next six months uh, or you know whatever needs I you know in the next six months I hope to put a hundred offers in um, I'd like to just ramp it up and be putting in offers I mean strategic offers again it's not like I'm just going to throw all these offers in and see if something sticks. I'm strategically putting in offers, but um, my plan is not to slow down the offers and actually to, to pick it up even more. Hey, I want to interrupt this episode real quick to talk to you about Nate Armstrong. Uh, our sponsor, Nate Armstrong, he's with homeinvest.com and you want to get to know Nate. So go to homeinvest.com and just connect with Nate, talk to him. Learn about his operation, what he's got going on. He's a turnkey provider, and it may not be right for you, but it could be the perfect fit. So it doesn't hurt. It's a free call, free consultation just to figure out, you know, what they do, what they have to offer. And worst case is you're going to meet a great person who's really well-educated in real estate. He's done a ton of different real estate strategies. And probably is going to teach you a little bit, even on a short conversation uh, with him. So go to homeinvest.com and, and uh, connect with Nate's company. You're definitely not going to be disappointed. It's worth it. So uh, thanks. And we'll get back to our show. All right. You know, uh, one of the big things with taxes is long-term capital gains. So let's, let's define that and, and uh, see how that applies to us here. Sure. I mean, you know, our, our typical tax is, is called ordinary income uh, tax. Uh, if you've got an investment in short term, let's say you, you flip a property, um, that's going to be taxed as ordinary income or what's called short term capital gains, uh, which can be, you know, 30% or greater in, in most cases. And like the state of Minnesota, you're going to pay uh, Minnesota state tax, which is, which is going to be, uh, you know, nine, 10%. Uh, so you're paying a lot in taxes. With a property that's held long-term, do you get long-term capital gains? Now, the, there's no, I, I don't think there's any like real definition, John, of what long-term means. I don't think they, the IRS, I'm pretty sure doesn't, actually I know they don't have like, Hey, if you, you got to hold it for 12 months in one day uh, or anything like that. So it's, it's, it's up to interpretation, but most people I think have interpreted it to look, you've got to at least show like a, a year, show a year. You've got to show intent. Um, now I have talked to CPAs uh, where, you know, if, if you have a property, if you buy a property, let's say you buy a property and uh, you do some renovation to it, and all of a sudden somebody comes to you with an unsolicited, unsolicited offer you can't refuse. 
Um, can you sell that and take long-term capital gains or can you 1031, which we'll talk about in a second? And the answer is typically yes, as long as your intent was to truly hold it. So if there's no evidence that you were going to, you know, flip the property, you're probably okay with it. If you traditionally are a property flipper and now you try to convince the IRS that, no, this was actually a long-term, I think that's going to be challenging to prove, but or challenging to say um, they want their money after all. So, right. So it's both the intents of, of what you plan to do with the property. And then typically even, even if it's not written out 12 months and more is typically looked at as long-term. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, our long-term capital gains tax, instead of that 30 plus percent, we're looking at a gain, um, a tax, a taxable event of could be 0% if you're making under, you know, roughly under $77,000. Uh, or if it's roughly under 70, if you're sorry, if not, if you're making, if you're taxable income, um, not necessarily just the profit on that investment. If your taxable income is roughly under $77,000, if your taxable income is roughly under, um, I think it's, it's $479,000. Uh, it's 15%. It's over that it's 20%. So it, it still is based on how much you make, but uh, still big tax savings, no matter what, even if you're making $470,000 or $79,000 or more, it's still only 20, 20% versus 38%. Yeah. And that right there is probably a good place to insert the disclaimer that neither Todd or I are, are tax. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. We are not tax consultants. We are not CPAs. We are not acting on behalf of that. And we don't pretend to uh, give you taxable tax advice. We're giving you information to then go to your CPA or your tax attorney and ask them questions on what we're saying and to see if they hold true on your case. Cause everybody's case is different. Everybody's property is different. And uh, you know, we're not giving tax advice. Definitely. Right. So the main point with this particular term of long-term capital gains is that it's a big benefit. You can, you can make a profit yeah. and pay less, much less taxes than if you made that same profit with your, your ordinary job, ordinary income, or even a, a flipping type business. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, so another, go yep, go ahead. another uh, term to be familiar with uh, real estate and taxes is a 1031 exchange. And so that's a good way to, even if you do have a profit to uh, postpone when you're paying those taxes. Yep. Yep. So, you know, your, your 1031 exchange is called a like kind exchange. So we got to exchange it with something similar. So we can't sell our piece of real estate and buy a racehorse. Um, we can't sell our piece of real estate and, and go buy a bunch of gold or stocks or, you know, something like that. That's not like kind. So we can, we can sell our multifamily building and go buy a commercial building. That's okay. We can sell our, 10 unit building, go buy a hundred unit building. That's okay. Um, so it's gotta be light kind. It's gotta be income producing and it's gotta be again, held with the intent of long-term. 
um, income producing property. So, so, but once you sell it, you know, if you sell it and you can 1031 again, you can 1031 as many times as you want. So I can always, I can buy my 10 unit building. I can buy a 20 unit building with a 1031. Then I can 1031 into a 30 unit and a 1031 can keep on doing that. Um, as long as it's not a flip, right? And I think the same thing there with the capital gains is that it's got to be the intent of holding it long term, right? So if I buy it, I fix it, and six months later I sell it, likely the IRS is going to see that as a short-term capital gain and not able to qualify for a 1031 exchange. If I buy it and I fix it up and I put tenants in it and I keep it for, let's call it a year or two years or five years, um, then it likely will qualify for a 1031 exchange. Again, talk to your, um, you know, talk to your CPA and talk to uh, the 1031 exchange intermediary and see what they think. But um, yeah, it's a great way to avoid paying taxes at the time of sale. Eventually you do have to pay taxes unless you die. So there's a guy in the Twin Cities that always says, defer, 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 die. And then you never have to pay taxes because once you die, then there's the, uh, where you can, you know, basically your death wipes out, you know, that taxable event so you can pass it down to your heirs. Yeah, I think they call that the stepped-up basis. Stepped-up basis, yep. Yeah, and there are a lot of small details to know with the 1031 exchange, and that's why it's important to work with what they call a qualified intermediary. Uh, and uh, actually, you know, the IRS requires that because when you sell and then buy, uh, it's that's, those sale proceeds won't go into your bank account or into your name. Uh, mm -hmm. The qualified or QI qualified intermediary is the one who holds those funds um, and then puts them into the next property for you. Yeah. And, and don't quote me cause I might be wrong, but I mean, you could, you could probably have, um, you know, I think you could have your, your neighbor uh, be your, your QI or uh, there's, there's other people that could be your QI, but if you qualified intermediary, but if you can't have a relative, um, but if you do it improperly, you, then you have to pay those taxes. So by just having some random person do it, you're taking a massive, massive risk uh, by doing that. So you, you want to deal with somebody reputable. And most, most towns, bigger towns at least, uh, have you know, somebody that does 1031 exchanges, somebody that's a qualified intermediary, like you said. Where you, the biggest thing, John, is you never want to touch the funds like you said, or you, and you never want whoever's dealing with your funds to have any intent or like any, if there's any like, Hey, that person could have accessed those funds, then it potentially could put the whole thing at risk. Right. And there's so big tax, uh, uh, <laughs> implication. There you go. So big tax implications. You got to make sure you get that right. Um, there's other things to know. I don't know how deep you want to go on this, but just time wise, you can only, you have to identify your property in a certain amount of time. Uh, you have to close in a certain amount of time. Yeah. So it's, you have to identify your property within 45 days of, 
of closing on the original property. So if you close on the original property, you've got 45 days to identify your property or properties. Uh, you can do up to three or there's other, you know, ways you can do more, but the most common is up to three uh, properties and you have to then close on one of those three properties within um, 180 days. So you do have some timelines that you have to adhere to. The 45 days is probably the, the biggest one that's very challenging to adhere to. Uh, but if you prepare properly, it definitely can be done. Yep. I guess one final thing on that is you have to replace the equity and the debt um, with that new property. Yep. So you can't buy something smaller. Um, well, you can, you're just going to be taxed on the difference. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I yeah, I don't, I don't want to dig in. We'll probably maybe do a full episode on 1031 and uh, I'll probably bring in our friend Joe to, to talk about that. That'd be great. Uh, one quick question though, with your syndication business, do you foresee using a 1031 or does it apply to you? Yeah, it could, it can apply. Uh, it can be very challenging. So it, uh, it's kind of a case by case basis. It depends on the investor, it depends on everything. Now you can do uh, some kind of other types of vehicles. And again, we'll probably talk about that in another, another time. There's basically uh, tenants in common or Delaware statutory trust DST uh, where you can do a basically basically a 1031 exchange into those and allow it to keep on turning over. So to answer your question, it can be done, but it's challenging. Okay. Okay. Well then uh, the next one we want to cover here is depreciation. And uh, most people are somewhat familiar with that, uh, but how does it apply here to real estate investing? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Basically, what the government says is that in 27 and a half years on a residential property, if you just, let's say you build the property, uh, um, you, so let's say you built the property 27 and a half years ago, and you didn't touch it, you just built it and you walked away, nothing else. You maybe left the heat on, I don't know, or maybe you didn't leave the heat on. I don't know if the government that defines that, but you just left this property alone. What the government is saying in 27 and a half years, that property will be worth $0. You have to knock it down because it'll be worthless, which is probably pretty accurate. I don't know what the half a year came into effect, but it's probably pretty accurate that, you know, between 20 and 30 years, that property will be worth nothing. If you just put a, put a house up, it, it's going to be junk. If nobody ever lives in it, nobody ever takes care of it. Um, so what the government says is that, okay, well, if your property only lasts 27 and a half years, we'll allow you to depreciate that in for 27 and a half years. So if you buy a building for, let's say $5.5 million, now you got to take off the land value. So let's say the land is worth $500,000. Now you can depreciate $5 million over 27 and a half years. So what you'd do is you'd take 500 or $5 million, divide it by 27 and a half, and you would say you have a loss of that amount. So that amount is 100, roughly $182,000.
you'd show that as a loss on your taxes towards the income of that property. So if, you, if your total income was $182,000 and your depreciation was $182,000, you would wipe out all your profit. And as far as tax purposes go, you would pay $0 in taxes on that property. You would show a gain of $0. That's a really great way to just, as, as, like adding another expense line on, on your yep. profit and loss. Yep. So, yeah. So, so, you know, as a, as a passive investor or an active investor, uh, if you depreciate properly, and we're going to talk about one more way of depreciation in just a second, but if you depreciate properly, likely you're going to pay very little, if any, taxes on your asset and it's just because of the the beautiful gift of depreciation now there is a caveat you do have to pay back depreciation or part of depreciation when you do sell um, now if you 1031 exchange that gets carried forward right yeah that uh depreciation recapture it always kind of got me like yeah, we're benefiting from it now, but then we're going to pay for it later. So, you know, yeah. but I, but, I but the it, amount of money that you save up front uh, is way worth the penalty that not penalty. It's not a penalty, but the, the tax that you have to pay later for one, you don't have to recapture everything. And if we cost segregate properly, which is what we're talking about next, uh, you have to pay back even less potentially. Well, there you go. Let's uh, go ahead and explain what cost segregation is then. Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's a form of, of depreciation, but cost segregation is looking at like all these little components of the building, right? So when we build a, an apartment building, we've got our floor covering, we've got our windows, we've even got our screws that we put the drywall on with, we've got the drywall, we've got all these little components. Of course, we've got the air conditioning and the furnaces and the appliances and all that kind of stuff as well. So what we do then, or we don't, a professional will do it, a cost segregation professional, engineer will walk through the building and very, you know, I mean, it's very uh, detailed, very calculated. They're going to go through and they're going to pick out all the items of the building and they're going to, there's a life expectancy for every item. So like a, an appliance, I believe has a five-year life expectancy. So you know, if I got a hundred unit building and I buy it, I'm doing a total renovation. I buy a hundred sets of appliances. All those appliances are purchased for, let's say a thousand bucks per unit. That's a hundred grand, right? Well, if those only last for five years, we can divide, take a hundred divided by five instead of 27.5. And uh, we get $20,000 a year that we can write off. So now instead of writing off, um, you know, that, that off of 27.5 years, now we only write it off for five years. So big, big savings right there. I mean, you get what, 22,750 
per year versus 20,000 per year. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't do math in my head there. So somebody else will have to fact check you that one. <laughs> yeah. Fact check me. Right. I'm Ron. Go ahead and, and but the point is, send out, send out Twitter hate, tweet, tweet, tweet hate. The, uh, the point is the, the depreciation gets uh, pushed up into the first few years, whether it's the five year schedule or the 10 year schedule, rather yep. than that 27 and a half, you know, yep. spread out all that way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, start doing that with all the components of the building. And now on a, on a you know, let's call it a $5 million asset again. Now we can see where instead of saving $182,000 a year, we can save 300000 500000 maybe even much, much more. Actually, quite, quite possibly uh, you're going to save, you know, five to $800,000. You're going to show that in annual losses. So we're going to wipe yeah. out, if you do cost segregation, you do it properly, 100% of the time, you're going to wipe out all your, all your capital gain, all your, all your gain. Oh, for that year. For that year. And I believe it, it uh, rolls forward. If you don't use it up in that year, it rolls to the next. Is that, does that sound right? I don't, don't quiz me. <laughs> well, so, how about this? Um, you know, I've heard some pros and cons about doing a cost segregation. So, mm -hmm know at what value of a property it makes sense to do it and maybe a similar related question does it make a difference if you're planning to just sell outright at the end of your hold time or versus doing a 1031 because when you do a cost segregation it separates the real property into components that become personal property and yeah. that's the personal property is what's able to be depreciated at a quicker schedule, but you can't 1031 personal property. Are you familiar with uh, that? Yeah. So, so again, that, that's something uh, to talk with um, your CPA about, uh, but yeah, so you can still successfully 1031 um, and, and also so I'll answer, you asked a couple questions there. So first of all, the first part of the question was, you know, how, how much and, and everybody will give you maybe a different answer. So you really have to look at what your tax savings are and does it make sense? Cause it's going to cost a lot of money to do. So cost segregation, it's, it's expensive. It's not, it's not cheap. So you got to make sure you're saving enough money in taxes. So, there's, there's a couple, there's not, it's not a straightforward answer, but I'd say if your property's worth a million dollars or more, it's probably worth doing a 1030 or doing a cost segregation for the most part. But you know, if you're doing, let's say a big renovation on the property and you're not making a lot of, a lot of profit on it. And because you're doing this big renovation and you've got a ton of um, capital expenditures already, then maybe it doesn't make as much sense to do, or maybe it doesn't make as much sense to do that year. And again, it, it all depends on what your tax situation is too. I mean, if you, if you need to show massive losses, I could, it could be helpful. So that's hard for me to answer that exact question. It depends on the, the individual, it depends on the business plan for the property. Uh, you know, as, as far as does it make sense, it, to do if you're going to hold it very short term and you're going to 
you know, you're going to sell it. Probably doesn't make sense to do it because you're not going to get those benefits. But again, it, it depends on the individual's, um, you know, tax, uh, you know, tax situation. So I, I guess that kind of depends as well. Um, yeah. So talk to your local professional. Yeah, definitely talk to your CPA, especially when you're and, and the cost segregation uh, individual, you know, who or a company who's doing it too. Now they're they're selling you on their product, so you know, again, verify what they trust, but verify basically. Um, make sure your CPA is in agreement. Uh, but this is this is why you know we've talked before about having a team, right? This is why it's important to have a team. This is why we have a CPA that's well versed in real estate on our team. This is why we have an attorney that's well versed in real estate on our team, and, and so on and so forth. So this is this is a huge reason why having a good, quality, competent team is very, very important when we're in business. Yep. And one thing to keep in mind, usually the cost segregation specialist will be able to give you a free consultation up front. So you can kind of take their initial numbers and see now for the cost that they're going to charge you, does it make sense to get the actual study done? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's true. No, I don't want to tell, you know, everybody that that's a hundred percent true, but yeah, I mean, you talked with your cost segregation uh, companies and likely John, you're, you're correct. Okay. Well, let's move on to another uh, detail here. Uh, bonus depreciation. That's a big one with the uh, recent tax changes here. Yeah. I mean, bonus depreciation has been around for a long time because of the new tax code. It allows, you know, your, asset to be you know placed to be deducted and depreciated the same year basically now you can depreciate a hundred percent in the first year if you wish to do so so um you know that can be valuable especially for those who have a big taxable event in in one year now we can wipe out that income you know we talked about um you know if you've got a, a big profit coming and, and uh, you, you can do this bonus depreciation on a property, it could potentially wipe out the, the profit, the taxable profit of, you know, that, that taxable event, it could potentially wipe it out. So uh, by doing bonus depreciation, it, it, again, case by case scenario, whether you want to do it or not, but it can be a very good thing. Yes. So um, the other thing here is uh, income and expenses. So, and how does that play into our taxes? Yeah. I mean, of course, the, le the less income you make, right, the less your tax. So we, of course, have to report it properly. I'm not, I'm not telling, advocating anybody to not report your income or not, or, or overdo your expenses. But we're able to give some incentives just as regular business owners, you know, you can write off all costs associated with the asset. So if you, you know, if you've got a home office, um, you should be writing that off. If you, if, 
you know, if you've got a vehicle that you use for business purposes, you should write off the portion of that vehicle that you use for business purposes. And if you've got a home gym, even, uh, you can potentially write that off. And so there's, there's definitely benefits that you can take and write off and there's costs, you know, you're going to buy things as a business owner that, you know, you're using now, now you're a business owner, so you can write those off. And, and a lot of these expenses are regular everyday expenses that we will probably, in, you know, incur these expenses. A lot of people have home offices. Um, a lot of people have their computers at home, um, have the internet at home, that type of stuff. But if you don't own a business, if you're just working for a company, you can't write that stuff off. Right. And so like, you know, my, my wife's got a computer, but she doesn't, she works for a company. She can't write off that computer, but I've got a computer. I can write that off because I work for myself and I use it for business purposes. Um, so, so there's big benefits there. Also benefit is we can move some of our building improvement expenses into the capital expenditures category and, and use that for depreciation. We can also, um, you know, carefully, we, we don't want to, again, we don't want to cheat the system. I'm not advocating anybody to do anything that's uh, illegal or that's, you know, unethical, but we can potentially move or have the expenses in, into the right categories to help our, our taxable situation um, with the consultation of our CPA. Yeah, it's very often if you're at the store, you kind of have to wonder, okay, which business is this an expense for, or, or is this really a personal expense? Um, yeah, you do want to, you know, in my opinion, I mean, some people, I know plenty of people uh, that'll write everything off as if it is expense. Um, you know, though, but you know, I guess it, it is what it is. They, they do it and you know, they get away with it. Uh, hopefully um, at least for their case. And, and that is what it is. I would not advocate that. I, I try not to do anything like that. You know, if it's a business expense, though, use it as a business expense and actually do it. There's other people that have all kinds of business expenses and they don't expense them because they think, well, I just, I would have done that anyway. Well, I don't care if you would have done it anyway. Not You have a business now and there's, you know, there's benefits of that. So take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, you're, you're now operating a business. I think that goes back to the mindset of, are you actually running your business as a business? Yeah. Actually expensing these things because you're using them for your business. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so the, you know, a lot of benefits with, with real estate. Of course, the last one was just owning a business period. Um, but there's big incentives for the passive investor or the active investor. Uh, John, I know you had a question prior to the show uh, about that, you know, who gets the benefit? Yeah, that, especially in a passive investment uh, where somebody's just putting in the money into maybe a syndication or something else, you know, does the depreciation and the income just get put on that entity and, or does it pass through to a certain, um, you know, percentage depending on their ownership to those limited partners? Yeah. Yeah. So that's very good question. I get that question quite a bit and they get the tax benefits. So if we, 
if we do cost segregation, uh, if we do the depreciation like we should, um, you know, if we keep it for long term, all that kind of stuff applies. They get long term capital gains treatment. They get um, they get the cost segregation benefits. All that kind of stuff applies. And so they're getting all, and what do they have to do? Almost nothing. They get a K one at the end of the year that shows them exactly, you know, their percentage. So you know, if they if they own if they invested you know hundred thousand dollars and that equals ten percent, they get ten percent of all the benefits. They get their share in the benefits, um, and so they're going to show that loss just like everybody else. And they're going to get the benefit of the depreciation of the cost segregation of when it sells. They're going to get that long-term capital gain. All that kind of stuff plays into that. Um, and, and they get those benefits. And is it always a, um, in line with the percentage of their ownership? Or does it ever get mixed up differently? Because some people might need more of a, a loss than other pay- people might need? No, it gets, it's all equal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's any way to change that. I think it's, it's all, all equal. Okay. Yeah. Now the one thing that's not included, I just talked about the, the, the tax benefits of owning a business, you know, having a computer and a home office and stuff like that, that that's, well, hopefully um, if you're investing in a passive syndication that's truly not a write-off because um that's not an expense for that property in particular so i don't write that off into a property i write that off into my general business so maybe some of those examples were not good for this topic you know for instance i don't i bought a new computer this year i didn't go okay this new computer divided by i've got you know 54 properties or I don't even know how many properties I have, but uh, divided by the amount of property. I didn't do that. Like that would be weird to do. So that just goes, I just have a general business venture D and that goes as a, as a uh, expense to that business. It doesn't go to expense to any particular property. So, but if you're investing passively, again, talk to your CPA, but you could potentially invest in a business and if you do, if you are investing passively enough, you can become a real estate professional, especially if that's what you're doing. Um, and, uh, and you can potentially write some of that stuff off then. Well, and, and what are the ways that the expenses do apply to the specific property? It's, you know, all the expenses that that property had for maintenance and utilities and insurance taxes, you know, that gets taken off. So it's not like you right. get taxed on the gross rental income. Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, that might be pretty obvious to most people, but to some people, you know, they might not realize that. So it's just, yeah, that's another important thing to realize. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, cool. Um, so I think it's just important for people to know and, and understand the, the tax benefits of real estate. And, um, it, to me, it's a great, you know, that's what the, that's the joy, one of the joys of real estate. I mean, is you get, there's so many benefits to it, in my opinion. I mean, you got you get the benefit of, of leverage. Uh, you've got the benefit of a very stable um, asset type. Uh, you know, you're, with residential, you know, multifamily, you've got, you know, people need a place to live, it's extremely stable. Uh, you've got cash flow, you've got appreciation. 
Um, you know, and then you've got all these tax benefits as well, which probably have probably have better tax benefits than really any other asset type I can think of. And so we've got all these things that like play really well into each other to make, to me, uh, real estate in general, I think the best asset type around, um, you know, uh, obviously everybody doesn't agree, but I, I think all those things together that definitely make it to me, in my opinion, the best asset that you can, you can have. Yeah. You don't uh, really get depreciation right off with your stocks or uh, other types of things like that. Right. Right. So cool, man. Well, that's, uh, that's all I got for today. Okay. Sounds good. Well, to our listeners and viewers, uh, we appreciate you tuning in and listening to this. Uh, if you have any input, if you want to correct us on anything, if you're a CPA and yeah, if you're a CPA, hammer us. I want to know what we did wrong. Maybe we'll have you on the show too. And you can say, Hey, remember that episode you did? <laughs> this is what you said wrong. <laughs> or the 1031 expert or yeah. cost segregation expert. Of course we do have a few connections there, but if you know, we'll welcome your comments on, on the YouTube video, on our Facebook page. And it's a great way to continue the discussion there. Also, Todd has written an article on this, which you can find on LinkedIn on his profile. So, yeah, find it on LinkedIn and uh, post it on Bigger Pockets too. So, you can find it either place. Uh, it'll probably be on my website too uh, fairly quickly. Uh, probably, hopefully, by the time this airs, I'll have it on the website as well. Venture, Venture D Properties or Pillars of Wealth Creation. You can go to either of those and find it there as well. Sounds good. Well, awesome. We will uh, see you next time then. Sounds good, John. You have a fantastic rest of the day. Make every day a Saturday. Are you ready to start investing in real estate today, but don't know where to start? Sometimes investing can seem way too complicated, but it actually couldn't be any easier than with homeinvest.com. You know the co-founder and my friend, Nate Armstrong. He appeared on episode 20, and if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it, episode number 20. Home Invest is a company that allows you to invest in turnkey real estate. Their goal is to build powerful investment tools that make real estate investing accessible to everyone. They have contractors and property managers available for you with the click of your mouse. While other real estate agents can only offer a property, Home Invest brings you a full turnkey package that allows you to diversify your investments, earn passive income and start building equity in properties. Their simple intuitive design allows newcomers and experienced investors alike to hit the ground running and to be able to choose the properties when they want and where they want. View easy to understand charts and data to allow you to buy in only a few clicks or just a simple phone call. With Home Invest, you'll be building your portfolio as quickly or as slowly as you would like. And right now, Home Invest is giving our listeners, Pillar of Wealth Creation listeners, a free course on how to finally win in real estate investing. So go to homeinvest.com forward slash pillars. That's homeinvest.com forward slash pillars to claim your free course today.